Let's pray. Jesus, today we come thirsty. We, call, we come hungry. And we ask you that your words would be our bread of life. I ask you this morning that for the person who is just exhausted and tired, um, at the end of their rope and wanting to give up, I ask you for the person who has just been extremely busy and feels like their life is a treadmill, that you would stop. You would stop them. I ask for those who you are calling to, to really step out and learn to trust you in, in a new way today that, that this morning would be a, a flicker of hope. And so we ask you this morning that you would reveal yourself, not because of, of how the words are spoken, but because of your spirit that is present with us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Do me a favor. Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, 30 through 44. If you are using a church Bible, it is on page 603. 603. And it's interesting that Margie had talked about the, uh, the feeding of the loaves and the fish because that's the passage we're going to be talking about this morning. Now, here's an interesting thing. Um, in my Christian journey, I've read the Bible multiple times. Um, I've read passages, certain passages, tons of times in my own personal walk. But being in the ministry and having to do teaching, there's certain things that you read often. And the one thing that I love about teaching um, is when you're reading something and there's a whole new light. And oftentimes, as a minister, we look at the word for the masses, the multitudes, that for everyone, that, that it's just something that, that just gets thrown into the audience and, and hopefully it sticks, okay? That something gets thrown on a wall and it sticks for someone. But the lesson that we're going to look at today is very different. It's a message that Jesus gave to the masses with a lesson for a few, okay? A message for the masses and yet, a lesson for the few. And so I want to read the passage, and I want us to tear it up, and I want us to be able to look at this in a new light that maybe never before we've looked at the loaves and the fish. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Okay? Look at that. Take a moment. Look at the scenario. They've been teaching, performing miracles, and they haven't even had time to stop. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as they stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were all like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Stop here. Let's talk about the background. Now, in order for me to talk about the background, keep your Bible right where it's at. Here's the situation. Jesus 
sent out his disciples to perform many miracles. As we talked about last week, we talked about what? <laughs> no one even remembers? What did we talk about? Cynicism. Thank you, Susie. You're the only one who listened? All right, I'll buy you a soda afterwards. All right. Cynicism. And we talked about how Jesus went into the synagogue and he taught. And who didn't believe him? The people that knew him. So all of his friends and neighbors didn't recognize that he was the Messiah because they knew him from growing up and it was impossible for anything good to come from Nazareth. And we talked about at the end of the passage that Jesus could have kind of fallen into a place of isolation and negativity, but instead he sent his disciples out to perform many miracles and to teach his lessons. So here's what happens. They go out and they teach and everyone is blown away. And more and more people believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The disciples are healing people. The disciples are giving the same lessons that, that Jesus had given. And people had this new anticipation and hope that this Messiah was now present. And so you would think that all the disciples come back. They tell Jesus, you'll never believe it. I cast out a demon. Awesome. High five. You'll never believe it. This dude couldn't walk and I prayed over him and he started running. Yeah. High five. And all these stories kept coming back. And, and Jesus, I gave you that, that same lesson, that same parable about the sower and the seed. And, and everyone got it. It was like this aha moment. And Jesus is like, you see? It's real. It's not just about me. It's about you partnering in the kingdom. It's about you having the kingdom of God within you. And there's this great excitement. But then look at, look at the Bible. Look what happens before he, he's on this journey. The death of John the Baptist. In the midst of all this excitement, in the midst of his, of his really his movement beginning to take off, one of the closest people in his life is put to death. And he's not only put to death, he's put to death in the most humiliating way. His head was cut off and put on a platter and paraded around a party. John and Jesus were close. Their families were close. And in all of this, we know that Jesus was not a robot, but he was human, and he was fully God, and he was in sorrow, and he was in pain, and he knew this was going to happen because of John's message, and that John was not going to put up with anything, that John was going to stand up for the good news. And so here you have Jesus in, the, in this place of tension of, yes, I want to celebrate with you, and at the same time, my heart is just broken. Because we know in the Gospels that when Jesus' heart was broken, he wept. And so he says this, guys, let's go for a little R&R. &R. We're hungry, we're tired, let's go take a break. And so what they do is, they're like, oh, this is good, we haven't done this yet. We need a little break. And so they hop in a boat. And just look at the passage. This is crazy. They hop in a boat with the purpose of going to a quiet place. And just like before, 
others hop in a boat and begin to follow him. And if you look at that passage even more, they not only hopped in a boat and followed him, people ran along the shoreline watching where he was going. Okay? Any of you remember the monkeys, that TV show, The Monkeys? Okay, here they come, walking down the street, getting funniest looks from everyone we meet. What does it say then? Monkeys. People say we'll monkey around. There we go. Benny down. Just trying to be friendly. All right, we'll stop there. So anyways, or the Beatles, or... I want it that way. Backstreet Boys, right? People are just going. What? All right. Thanks, Josh. But in the midst of this, when we hear about these rock stars, look at Omar. He's over there. He's like, what? He wanted me to bring up Rihanna, you know? Okay. <laughs> so anyways, um, but just like a rock star, just like a rock star, people followed him. I mean, they were like following him on the seashore and looking where he was going and following, is, is that his boat? Is that his boat? Is that his boat? No, that's his boat. That's his boat. That's his boat. That's his boat. And they get all the way to the seashore. And for some bizarre reason, the news of him caught wildfire. And there was a huge, huge gathering. It wasn't a gathering of a couple hundred. We'll see later in this passage that that the crowd got so big that there were 5,000 men and their families. Now, when you read ancient writings, as many as you know, they only counted the men. Jerks, right? They only counted the men. But the reality is if you, if you numbered every man plus wife plus children, okay, and we're thinking like in our American mindset, maybe three, right? Maybe three. I mean, but Jewish families had like, 400 kids each. Um, so there was a lot, a lot of people there. And in that, this huge crowd. But here's something significant that I want to bring up. It says, he saw them and they were like sheep without a shepherd. That they just were lost. I mean, you ever seen people like that? They're just like, that dude just needs help. Like, that person just needs someone to give them guidance. And Jesus saw that in the hearts of all of them. That these people are lost and they're hungry and they're just walking around like sheep without a shepherd. And I find it so significant. It says, so he began teaching them many things. Many things. Not a lesson, not a parable, not a quick, hey guys, listen, let me just teach them one thing and I'll get rid of all of them. But in his compassion, In his brokenheartedness for the people, he said, guys, we got to spend time. Let me just love on these people right where they're at. You ever been with anyone like that? My kids feel that way about me all the time. Seriously. They feel that way about me all the time. Like, how many people do you know, Dad? Like, why do you stop and talk to every human being on the face of this earth? And I don't know. I've been like that since I was a kid. But I know other people like that too. My brother Scott is even like 15 times worse than I am. And these guys, their anticipation was what? R and R. We're tired. 
we did what you told us to do. We're exhausted. We just had to row all the way across the lake. And now, and now, we're at it again. Let's continue. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Hey, uh, Jesus, our hunger pangs, our stomachs, like, these people need to go eat, like us. Can you do us a favor? Can you, they, you know what you need to do is, it's getting late, and why don't you go tell them to go home and eat? Because that would be like the right godly thing to do. Like, why keep them later than they want? It's almost like being in that service, you know, where it's like you're watching the clock. All right, when is Rob going to stop? Like, my stomach, doesn't he get it? He could pray. He could say this in about five minutes less. And they're saying the same thing. Um, okay, can you send them away now? They're hungry. What a great excuse. They really need to eat. They're thirsty. Don't you get it? But Jesus said, oh, he's, such, well, he's such a wise guy. You feed them. You feed them. With what? They asked. We'd have to work months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Let alone we have Judas the knucklehead who keeps stealing from us. We don't have enough money. We will have to stop what you want us to do heal and deliver and teach. We're going to have to go get jobs, wash dishes, in order to feed all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find out. <laughs> Grumbling. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Now we know of another story in the scriptures, where they found a little boy who had fish and bread. But I find it very interesting in this passage. He doesn't say, go find it from other people. How much do you have? Go find out how much you have on the collective group. See what we got. See if we can take care of their needs. Now think about this. How many times in your life have you been put in a situation where you have given and given and given? And I don't even mean in the name of Jesus. And I don't even mean for the church. And I don't even mean for, an, for something good. But I'm talking about with your children, with your friends, with your family. There always comes a breaking point when you say to yourself, enough is enough. I have no more to give. It's no longer my problem. It's theirs. And I find it very interesting in the midst of Jesus saying, let's go stop. Let's take a break. Let's rest. Let's go to a quiet place. But in the midst of life's circumstances he continually gives out 
You see, this place for, for the disciples was a place of hostility. It was a place that, that the last thing that they wanted to be was hospitable. And if you really look at the definitions of hostility and hospitable, they are the, the complete opposites. Complete opposites. Hostility is, is being against. And hospitality is being for. And for so long as they have walked with Jesus, as they have learned from Jesus, Jesus has invited them into learning the greatest form of hospitality. And yet, they still have not gotten the full picture where their soul is still wrestling with hostility. Does that make sense? There comes a point in all of our life like enough is enough. I can't do any more. I can't take that next step. I can't answer the phone one more stinking time. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread. We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Which when I really thought about it, I was like, that's probably enough for dinner for 13 men around a campfire. Right? 13 young men around a campfire. Five loaves and two fish. And it's still probably not even enough because someone's going to be complaining, like, is there any dessert? Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. That's pretty or good organizational skills, right? Hey, guys, gather in groups of 50 or 100, and we'll take care of all of you. Okay, how are you going to do it? Don't worry about it. Gather in groups of 50 or 100. The plant will be in this section. Someone else will meet in that section. Jesus took the loaves, of, the loaves and a fish looked up toward heaven and blessed them. God of the universe, the creator of all things, feed your people. Amen. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. Okay? They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from those loaves. Here's a very neat thing. And I just thought of it now. Jesus could have made this all about himself. Jesus could have stood up there and said, hey, guys, this is what I'm doing. Okay, let me just get a little higher on a rock. See these fish? See these bread? I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. But instead, who does he point to? The Father. He prays and he blesses that God, his heavenly Father, would multiply the loaves and the bread. And I love what Roseanne said, that Jesus is cool. He's cool. He never made it about him. 
And what Jesus did, it wasn't like that weird 1960s Jesus movie. Remember that 90, 1960s Jesus movies where like these big baskets are just thrown out of heaven. Like they, they, they're, it's like kind of trippy. Like they come and they get thrown out and it's all kind of like splattering on people and splattering on people. And people are getting hit in the head with breads and fish and it's nasty. Instead, what Jesus did was he just broke and he fed. And he broke and he fed. As his father blessed him, he blessed others by using his disciples. And he did the same thing with the fish. He tore the fish and he fed the multitudes. And he tore the fish and he fed the multitudes. And that's how they were fed. And at the end of the day, this is a huge part of this passage. At the end of this meal, at the end of this feast, because it says that they ate more than they could ever imagine. They were more than full. Kids were complaining, I got stomach ache. It's just, gas. Yes, calm down. I can't eat anymore. I don't want to eat till tomorrow. And in that, Jesus said, guys, go collect. Go collect all the leftovers. Because very different from our Western world, in ancient times, in eastern, in eastern areas, food is never, ever wasted. At the very least, if they did not save it for tomorrow, they would collect it for their animals. Food was never, ever wasted. Food was valuable. Food represented life. Food was a resemblance. Especially bread was a representation of what God wants to provide for us all the time. He did it in Exodus and he did it again today in Mark. But look at this word. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Now there's two words in the Greek that we would see throughout the Gospels for the word baskets. Okay, Here's a little Greek lesson. There's two words. One word which is used in the other Gospels is a picture of a large basket. It's kind of like a hamper, right? You have, you have those, uh, what are those hampers called? The, the wooden ones? What are they? What's that? Wicket. Wicker. Wicker. Not wicket. Wicker. Wicker baskets. These huge wicker baskets. That's the sign in the other Gospels. But the word here is kofinos. K-O-F-I-N-O-S which is a little basket the size of a lunch pail. Remember when you used to go to school and you had the Scooby-Doo lunch pail, the lunch box, and you opened it and it just held like one peanut butter sandwich, like four crackers, and then this huge thermos that you didn't know what to do with it? That's what they picked up the food with. They picked up 12 Scooby-Doo lunch boxes worth of food. 12. Jesus not only multiplied their dinner to feed thousands, he came back and said, you know, I never forgot about you. I never forgot about you. Let's flip it back. Let me just read the, the prayer once again. 
our Father in heaven, do you really want to know how to, how to experience all that God has for you? Hey, Peter, you really want to get it? John, you really want to know what it means to be a lover of my soul? This is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Learn to pray this. Give us today. And I love how this translation says it. The food we need. The food we need. The food to keep us alive and energized and healthy. And knowing that you are our daily provider. Can't even imagine that picture that after that happened, that each one of those guys is just like, collecting and going from group to group and they all show up and they're all holding one basket. All right, this is freaky. One for each of us. One for each of us. Who's this lesson for? The multitudes had no idea how much bread. They, they probably thought like they had like this, this, this wagon full behind a tree or behind a rock that Jesus was like, reaching back, grabbing it, just here, pass me another one. Someone getting fish. They had no idea what was going on. And yet these 12 knew. And that in the midst of everything that Jesus was going to feed them spiritually first. I'm going to show you a miracle in the midst of your exhaustion. I'm going to do something so supernatural that you will remember that I was the one who took you away for a little R&I. And I will be the one who fulfills that promise. But I'm also going to feed you. I'm going to feed you just like I promised. I'm going to feed you individually so that you have enough nourishment, physically and spiritually. And so who's this lesson for? It's for the twelve. And first, is that when you follow Jesus, God is going to invite you to first believe and have faith in the impossible. To have faith to believe in the unseen God who is the creator of heaven and earth. And he's going to then ask you to walk with him in ways that seem impossible. Do not lean on your own understanding. Allow him to direct your steps and your path. And these are proverbs that these men had heard their whole life. And they just started probably popping up, popping up, popping up, popping up. But here's what God invites all of us to do. To believe the impossible. And that when you are a follower of Jesus, to walk by faith, trusting in the God of this world, the God of the ages, the God of the universe, that he can do the most impossible things in your life. That he will provide for you every day. 
that everything that he asks you to be a part of, that he will be there with you. I love one of the sections in the Bible where, where the disciples, Jesus said, hey, just go out and teach again. Go out and, pre- go out and preach again. Go out and do, deliver- do ministry again. Go out and heal and do all these things. And they say, what do you want us to say? Like, can you give us a script? Can you tell us what to do? He says, don't worry about it. Whenever you show up, God will give you the words. And that's the same thing with all of us. Are we in our environments, in every possible way, willing to trust in the impossible God who makes all things possible? All things. All things. One of the things that Sue and I have been doing over the last several months is that we've basically thrown away all of our credit cards. And oftentimes we used our credit cards for what seemed to be the right reasons, medical bills, all these different things. And we've struggled financially. We have had to really learn to trust God. Everything we've ever done has been nonprofit. Um, we've been all in different ministries. And, and I just got to the point, like, I'm not trusting. I am freaking out. And for the last several months, we have taken all of our credit cards and we've thrown them away. And I said, God, you're going to provide. And I can honestly say that over the last three months, we have been provided for more than we ever have. Same amount of money. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. But I finally had to come to a place of submission and said, I've trusted you with my children. I've trusted you with this. I've trusted you with that. I get to give you this. And that's one area of vulnerability I'm just sharing. I believe God can do anything. I believe he can deliver. I believe he can heal. I believe he can change marriages. I believe he can turn the water into wine. But I've struggled financially. Can you really provide for me? But all I'm learning is, can he take care of my daily needs? But it's even more than that. The lesson of the disciples You see, we see when God provides for us that we don't really call it miraculous. They're almost like these unmiraculous miracles. Well, it's just food. He's just taking care of my daily needs. Have you ever ever thought of beginning to look at all of your life as God intervening? Have you ever stopped like the disciples this time because they've always seen him do things for them and he's seen him do a couple things for for everyone else, but now they've seen him do a couple things for, for them. But have you ever stepped into life and said, everything that I have has been given by God? My house, my clothes, my cars, my kids, my pets, everything have been given by God. And I got to say this, because I am a very charismatic guy. I look at Scripture through a charismatic lens, and, and I see the big, and I see all these things that God wants to do. But I really stink at the day-to-day. And here's what he's asking his disciples. Do you believe I can do the miraculous in all things? In all things. At your work? at your home, in your marriage, in your kids, in providing for you financially, in providing for you food-wise, in providing for you in every single way. And do you see that as miraculous? You see, over 
this 21 days, we are on a 21-day fast. Which means that we are putting away certain things in our life. And it doesn't matter whether it's media or food or whatever it is. You have chosen. You have chosen to take things out of your life, to put them on the shelf, to position yourself, to have a posture to allow God to show you himself. And it's in these 21 days what God is going to be revealing to you is, I want to provide for all your needs according to my goodness and riches. And it's so funny that when we, when we go on these fasts, we realize that God has so much more for us. And oftentimes the busyness of our lives, the busyness of our technology, the busyness of just eating when we're frustrated keeps us, keeps us from allowing God to simply whisper in your My hope is this, that in, in the midst of this culture, that we would be a body of people that positions ourselves in a posture that longs to hear from God so that we may know him. And as we know him, we have to step into the world to make him known. Do we trust him? Do you trust him? And for some of you who have been Christians for many, many years or claim the, claim the name of Jesus, this has been a struggle for you. And God's saying today, I, I want to do the, the, the miraculous in ways that you don't even think that are miraculous. Or someone else is here saying, I'm on this journey. I'm just thinking like, I just, wanna, I just want to to begin to just simply believe that God is real, that that same God who, who, who provided a lunch pail will provide for me. How are we constantly learning that's all this life's about? Knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus, that he's my provider, that he's my comforter, that he's my strength, that he's my hope, that he will provide for all my needs. Do you know what's so cool about Jesus? He not only provides for our needs, he gives us more than we can ever imagine. So let me ask you, before we go to communion, anything step Anything pop up in view of this passage? And I love, the, I love what uh, Margie talked about. They had so much food they brought, and it just seemed like it was endless. God does that. When you give yourself away in the most, in the most deepest places of, of just feeling like you're tired and you're exhausted and you don't want to show up. I mean, Florio's had a rough week. They had sick kids. They had things going on in their lives. They had doctor's appointments. The last thing that the, the Florio's needed to do was go help the homeless. Someone else can do that. Someone else can. We could just give it to our, 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 our missional community. But they were fed. They were fed. They were fed not only physically because of Dave's great turkey, 
They were fed spiritually because they gave their lives away. Any, any comments, any questions, anything? Maureen. I just found it very interesting that um, right before this uh, 5,000 was fed that Jesus had sent them out to heal and to, uh, you know, deliver. And then a few, maybe the same day, they were in another situation and they sort of forgot that, you know, what they had, what God had given them ability to do. So it, there's hope for us that, um, you know, if we forget what God did yesterday, you know, he'll, he'll meet us and, and help us with the next miracle that he's going to do in our life. Awesome. How true that is. God can do something huge today and tomorrow we forget, but yet he wants to constantly show up. Good. Anyone else? Joe Florio. It makes sense that uh, they collected 12 small portions for just for probably one day's food, like a probably a little coffer or whatever of food. Because when the Jews were wandering uh, in the uh, wilderness uh, leaving Egypt uh, with the manna, God just wanted them to take just enough for that day. They didn't want to hoard it overnight or else. It, and if they did, it would, they were punished because it would be rotten. God, God's like, no, trust me, there'll be more tomorrow so you don't have to hoard it. And... Uh, just take what you need for today. So it makes sense that they awesome. just had a small portion for the disciples. Awesome. Good. Good. What else? Mary. I love how you um, talked about hospitality, and I love um, practicing hospitality. And I think we can't miss the many times practicing hospitality is mentioned in the Bible. And I think just what kind of dawned on me is when you you know, stopped and made us notice how Jesus lifted the bread and, and blessed it as he put his eyes on God. And when I think of hospitality, I think of welcoming people in, but I think Jesus shows us that it's really welcoming God in. And I think the times that we see in scripture when that happens, either um, people's eyes are open or there's a miracle. And I think that God uses the simple thing as um, eating a meal and you know, we think typically we eat three times a day, and we have an opportunity three times a day to welcome God in, even in our busy lives. If we just use those three times to welcome God in, who knows what miracles, you know, we could be experiencing in the day. Awesome. Awesome. And you know what? The hardest time to be hospitable is the times that we don't want to do it. I love that. Those are the times that we don't want to do it, and yet we're, that's when Jesus asks us, do you really want to be like me? Do it when it hurts the most. 